Hey everybody, this is Dustin Chandler with Interaction Advisory Group wanting to give you a little bit of intro to this podcast. We had a little bit of technical difficulty with the live that we did. This is a small intro uh, to the mental health discussion we had with the Meet Bosmia. So after you hear me now, we are going to pick up right where we did not have technical difficulty and we hope you enjoy the episode. Well, do Dustin, thank you for having me on. So again, my name's Amit Bosnia. I'm a school psychologist, uh, native to Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in Homewood, uh, went to Birmingham Southern, uh, finished my uh, school psychology training at the University of Washington out in Seattle, Washington, and uh, served as a school psychologist kind of all across the country from Washington State to South Carolina, and finally back here home in Birmingham with Birmingham City Schools. So I'm excited to be back home in Birmingham, Alabama uh, to serve parents, our community, and our students above all. Um, I have my wife, Samantha, and my we got a uh, five-year-old. My goodness, she's five now, about to start kindergarten, a girl named Lila. And uh, yeah, so that uh, that's a little bit about me in terms of my background yeah, that's who that's who i meet everybody so you've got you were in the birmingham city schools as a school psychologist yes, currently sir. yeah so right working in working in the city school system in birmingham uh so you know a lot about uh students uh about what's going on obviously within our schools a little bit or at least within your system um and that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit is to let parents know uh, kind of some of the mental health things that that you see or that you're aware of to try to help parents uh, kind of navigate this, uh, really this the mental health waters, uh, so to speak. Because, you know, if we look statistically, I mean, before the pandemic, okay, so before COVID-19, uh, you there was an increase. These are CDC numbers. They're posted out on our Facebook page and posted out there. The CDC numbers... Uh, showed that there was a 40% increase in mental health uh, conditions in, in, the, in youth, okay, or, or mental health. So that was before the pandemic. Well, now we're looking, obviously, with school closures um, and everything else, despite what anybody thinks about those things, it looks like mental health conditions in schools are, are either going to get worse or statistically are getting worse. And just wanted to get your opinion on that because before pandemic, you know, it it was not too long ago that I was speaking to a city council and I was asked the question, you know, what do you think? And, and this is just being a, 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 an advocate for students with disabilities in the state of Alabama. And, and they asked me, what do you think is one of the uh, most important topics that are going to be facing schools in the future? And back then, this was way before pandemic, I said, mental health in our schools. I mean, are we ready? Uh, in our public schools. And and I didn't think we were ready back then. I think some school systems are doing better. But now we've had pandemic. We know that there was a rise before the pandemic. And just getting a little bit of, you know, context from you and a little bit of color on it. I mean, where where do you see the the mental health programs and and is it, it are things going up in schools since pandemic or how are students handling this? No, great question, Dustin. So Definitely. I mean, we saw a rise in uh, alarm bells were ringing about student mental health before the pandemic with uh, an exponential increase in students reporting feelings of depression, anxiety, uh, and suicide. Uh, I was in, uh, serving in, in a particular school district where we had lost over five students in one school due to suicide alone um, during my time as a school psychologist. So, And that was before the pandemic. Um, 
and yes, so we definitely had concerns before, especially with the rise in cyberbullying, uh, social media, uh, and, and defamation online, uh, where bullying just doesn't stop at school anymore or in the community. It follows the child home on social media if they have one. Um, but certainly um, the pandemic has exacerbated in, in many ways our mental health problems. And in some ways, it's uh, there are some silver linings that uh, children who were reported being bullied, particularly uh, physically or verbally in person, um, well, they're at home, you know, and if that bully's not following them online, there is some uh, solace in that. But that being said, overall, the pandemic has exacerbated student mental health and parent mental health, especially adults. Um, so it's, it's unique and that's impacted everybody. So what we do know is that children that are living with a parent that also struggles with mental health, that impacts children. It is a form of trauma. Um, and so our children are also demonstrating a lot of social, emotional, behavioral, you know, difficulties in the school-based setting. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I'm very proud to say that um, Alabama legislators have been uh, thinking about this quite some time. Uh, and with, uh, you know, some, uh, I want to give out uh, just some credit to Senator Smitherman uh, for drafting this bill about the school mental health service coordinator. I think it's Alabama's first hard look um, at looking at what are we, what are we doing in schools for our kiddos? What are we putting in place in terms of an actual position dedicated uh, to help coordinate and facilitate mental health services for students in our schools? So uh, with Dr. Warfield at the State Department, and also with uh, Senator Smitherman, along with our uh, legislator, they've passed the School Mental Health Coordinator Act. And so what that does is that it helps us, the provisions put in there, that there's a mandate that schools need to identify these children at risk for mental health difficulties and provide them support. Now, it may not necessarily be coming from the schools, but they can certainly connect parents to community-based resource providers. Um, and I think that's a good first step. Uh, I think there's much more needs to be done, uh, but I think it's certainly a good acknowledgement from the state and from our legislator that children's mental health matters and that children and parents and adults are struggling with mental health. Cross when, yeah, when you're talking about services, where are these services going to come from? If we identify a student with uh, certain mental health conditions or they say, hey, this could be going on, or, or a school psychologist like yourself, you know, this is this is happening. Where do parents turn? That's a great question. It all depends where you live, right? Um, yeah. As a state, um, our infrastructure for mental health services, both school-based and community-based, is limited. Uh, we, we are having a crisis. I mean, it, it is in Alabama, but it's also across the country, too, that we are having a severe shortage of, uh, of mental health service providers and especially school-based mental health service providers. I'm a school psychologist, um, and uh, there are not many school psychologists in Alabama. Uh, we're one of the few states that were not compulsory required. Um, I'll give an example. When I was in South Carolina for a district I served, I was one of 25. And we're different from school counselors and, and social workers in that regard. Um, and we all have our unique skill sets. Uh, but there's definitely a shortage of uh, school psychologists and other school-based mental health professionals like school social workers um, and even school counselors across the state to help render mental health services for our students that may be uh, struggling. And that being said, um, 
depending where you live on the state, there may not be a community mental health based service provider, particularly in our rural communities. There's a lack of access to uh, mental health based service providers. Um, the pandemic has accelerated, fortunately, the uh, digitification, uh, digitalization, I should say, of mental health based services, so telemental health. But that being said, um, most children and most uh, adults I talk to who are seeking mental health or just counseling services prefer in-person in uh, services. Well, I mean, it, that makes sense, right? I mean, they want to see somebody, talk to somebody. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the in-person uh, interactions, especially with uh, a therapist or somebody to talk to. Um, you know, and, and I think we've done a little bit better uh, as a state. I think there's a long way to go. I know we've opened up some uh, crisis centers, I believe, in three locations uh, in the state uh, that's not really school-based, but more community-based. Um, and our, my concern, obviously, is, is with this conversation is really revolved around education, right? I mean, when we're talking about students, we're, you know, people forget why, you know, sometimes, well, they, I don't know if they forget, but you got to remember uh, if a child is or a student is having difficulty with a mental health challenge or uh, a, some a, a disability or anything, we've got to make sure that they they've got what they need, the services that they need to continue learning. Um, I mean, you know, those those become barriers to learning, and then we know if they're not learning, uh, we 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 can talk about dropout rates. We can talk about all this other stuff that it could happen, and we want to be able to to teach these students, and that is part of the reason why or a lot of the reason why you and I, we spoke and we met at a conference talking about, we need to really get everybody up to speed on what's best ways to interact with people with certain mental health uh, conditions, uh, really to be able to make good decisions when we're interacting with those individuals. And that's what we will be focused on with educators is really how, if, if we know a student has a certain mental health condition, whatever it may be, uh, you know, we want those, those educators, you know, everybody, to be on the same page as far as, you know, the, those interactions. So it's important because the, really the goal is, is to help keep them in school, um, you know, kind of get over those barriers and help them uh, to be able to continue learning, which I think is very important. Um, and one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier was really just talking about, uh, you know, the bullying part of it, you know, cyber bullying has gotten, obviously it's probably out of control, much like everything. It seems like online. Uh, you have in-person bullying, which I guess that is a, I guess a good thing about why not, why we didn't send kids to school because those that were bullying were not being bullied. Um, however, obviously, my opinion, we have to have students in school to learn. Now, when we talk about bullying, what do you, what would you suggest as a school site? Because I believe bullying, like you said, is trauma. I mean, listen, this is bullying is not like it was. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and on. I mean, I think it has gotten perpetually worse. I think that it's, um, I think parents get lost on what to do and how to help. Uh, you've got now cyberbullying, as you, we've already, you've mentioned, uh, that, you know, makes it more difficult. But what, what would you as a psychologist um, and a school psychologist recommend to parents if they think their child's being bullied? I obviously have, and I've made posts about there, out there about this and podcasts about knowing the, the school policy on bullying, okay? But a, a, a parent thinks that their child's being bullied or a child comes to their parent and says, listen, I'm being bullied. What, what is kind of the process that you would recommend or, or what is your thought process on that from the time you're being told a student is being bullied or your loved one? What would you suggest parents do to try to 
to try to address it. Because if you're the parent of the child being bullied, you report it to the school and, and then kind of how does it go from there? No, that's a great point. And, and, and bullying is complex. And, and how, we, um, how we try to put an end or to at least reduce uh, this epidemic of bullying that's causing a litany of mental health problems is a very complex answer. Um, oftentimes, and the, the response I'll give to you is kind of twofold, okay? Um, the first part of my answer will be about your individual loved one, right? If they're being bullied, harassed, or even, even an adult themselves, right? Uh, we, have, we have federal laws and, and state local laws put in place. So, you know, when it comes to uh, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, um, you know, that prohibits any discrimination or bullying, harassment based off race, color, uh, national or ethnic origin. Um, so if your child is being bullied based off those civil rights clauses right there, that's uh, a reason. Uh, first, that's a, a, a legal point. You can take point of that. Title IX, the Educational Amendment Act, prevents, uh, prohibits, you know, uh, bullying, harassment based off uh, sex discrimination. Right. So pay um, uh, uh, male, female, all that kind of stuff. And then we have also Section 504, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So if you have a child that has a Section 504 accommodations plan or even a child with a, a, an individualized education plan for special education services, um, IDA and Section 504 also put in clauses that you cannot harass or discriminate an individual based off their disability status either. Okay. But that being said, um, you know, we have most recently in Alabama, the Jamari Terrell Williams Student uh, Prevention Bullying Act, okay? And there's two points on this act, okay? So the first one requires that schools have to address bullying. That means talking to the perpetrator, talking to the victim. It, it's no longer, you know, just kind of watching and maybe, no, this is mandating schools have to act, okay? And that's in Alabama because uh, these laws vary by state. And the second part of that clause is that schools must provide a, uh, a very visible uh, link on their student, uh, on their uh, school website to post where parents or students themselves can report or file claims about bullying or harassment. And, and, and something to note, uh, Alabama uses the term harassment a lot in their laws, not necessarily the term bullying, uh, but it's one and the same. Um, but that being said, you know, this gets back to my second part of that question is that, yes, a parent can go to the school, talk to their administrator about bullying, my child's being bullied, and, and request that, uh, that that meeting be held, uh, that the school uh, staff hold that meeting with that child, their parent. Um, we try to go through some sort of a reconciliation process. But that being said, you know, the sheer volume of bullying that's occurring across schools. It doesn't matter whether you're in rural, uh, urban, or suburban school system, the sheer volume of bullying that is occurring that children don't report, and that's the key piece, is what they don't report, leads me to my second part, is that this is a cultural problem. This is a school climate, a community problem, that how we as a society allowed children and adults, because we're, we're just as guilty uh, as grown adults, uh, allowing this discourse of harassing and bullying others to almost an unchecked point. Uh, you can go online right now on Twitter or social media and say something defaming about anybody you choose with sometimes little or no repercussions. You can be anonymous. Um, that being said, 
when it comes to the school climate, this is an all hands on deck approach. And what I encourage parents to do, and even students, um, is that after addressing your loved one's bullying concerns, that they may be being bullied, talk to your school uh, administrator, talk to, consult your school district's policy about what are they doing as a district to change that school climate and culture. Um, look at what your community's doing to address school, I mean, to address bullying and harassment in the community. Too often, I think we are bystanders. We watch something happen and we know it's not right, but we just watch. We, we don't necessarily want to get ourselves involved. And, and that's hard in this day and age. Uh, getting involved can sometimes be dangerous. Uh, getting involved makes us vulnerable, but we need to look at what is happening at our local schools that is allowing this culture to continue? Yes, we can take a zero tolerance approach, okay? But I'll, I'll try to equate this to, let's say, trying to prevent diabetes, right? Um, we can uh, diagnose, we can treat diabetes, right, with insulin and metformin and continue that regimen. But if we really want to prevent diabetes or bullying from occurring, let's get back to the original diet the preventative activities. What, what is making that person uh, consume a diet or be at risk for developing diabetes in the first place, right? So if we're not talking to our children at a young age about respecting each other, we may not agree, but we have to show respect that how do I engage in a conversation where I disagree with somebody or if I don't even like them, what they look like, what they're wearing, whatever it may be in a respectful manner. And I think that's what we've kind of kind of lost uh, as a, in a national dialogue is and look at look look at a, a federal level politics, for example, is we can agree to disagree in a respectful manner. But that all begins at home and that home effort needs to carry on to the school. So I encourage parents that if your school district does not have some sort of anti-bullying kind of committee that involves parents, that involves community leaders, um, that might be something worth starting because as a school psychologist and, and working with uh, very devout colleagues that care about student mental health, those difficult conversations uh, begin at home originally. But the, the thing is that we want to continue those conversations through a school community, school home collaboration effort that we sustain those dialogues, not just at home, or not just at school, but in both places where children feel that they're being held accountable, not just to a zero tolerance policy, because zero tolerance policies, they're there, but that doesn't necessarily change my attitude about what I eat, how much I exercise to prevent diabetes from occurring, to prevent bullying from occurring, right? So I would encourage parents, after addressing your individual loved one's concerns, make an effort to go out there, reach out to the school and to the district level um, to talk about how are, they, how are they addressing bullying to address at the root cause, school climate and culture. Because if that's not being addressed at the local school level, bullying will continue to be perpetuated regardless of whatever acts, laws, policies are put in place. Yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned uh, the 504 uh, the, the 504 plans. And then you, uh, we, you talked about students with IEP special education. Listen, if you don't know this and you're listening to this or watching students with disabilities are at a higher rate 
uh, bullied than other students. Um, that's statistically proven. You, we have to be, listen, it's, it, and to me, I, I, I think along the same lines as you uh, somewhat of saying, we've got to provide the best we can. And it takes more than an administration. It takes really a village, right? The old saying, it takes right. a village. We really have to provide a, a positive school environment for every student a positive school environment where kids aren't scared to come to school. We, we have to work together at that. And I'm sure there are some school systems and districts that do this really well. Um, and I think there's some that, that probably don't do it at all. I mean, I, they may not have a focus on it, but that's what we really have to get down to, which I think goes to your point of it starts at home. Uh, it, it, it's also could be uh, called uh, adult modeling. Really? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what are, you know, listen, everybody, uh, we're all guilty of it at some point. Uh, but when is the last time that you really said something poor about somebody? Uh, when did you slander somebody when they were not around and it's just a conversation at the dinner table? And all that needs to really be really harnessed back in. I, I, you know, we are in such an age. And again, we're all guilty of it. I mean, listen, we all use social media. We're on it all the time, reading all these articles and everything. But we're in an age that you can sit behind a keyboard and say what you want. Um, and, you know, that just perpetuates. And again, I think politics. Um, that has just gotten way out of control. So it's, you know, all this, it's kind of tearing this country apart, a lot of these things. Um, and then it's okay all of a sudden to go to school and either pick on somebody or say something nasty to them or something else, whatever it's going to be. And then continuing that because there, you don't see any re really repercussions from that. Now, obviously the school needs to step in and do something about it. I'm afraid a lot of times, you know, bullying is reported to schools, any schools, not any particular school, schools in general, that bullying is reported oftentimes and either is not followed up on, or maybe it could be the parents that are not really following up with their child and their child, you know, develops depression. They probably already have anxiety uh, about things. And, and that's really where this, this goes with bullying. When we're talking about bullying, uh, it can lead to obviously higher anxiety levels. It can lead to depression. Uh, depression then lead to a, a lot of different things, N not to mention it affects your health, um, not just your mental health, your physical health. So, you know, what the, the hard topic to talk about is suicide. I mean, I, I think that it's just difficult to talk about, especially I, I pray for those parents that have, um, that have had to go through something so horrible like that. Um, it's, it's a very difficult topic, but that is where, uh, you know, I talked to an officer and this is on the law enforcement side. This is law enforcement, not, a, not schools, but this is a law enforcement officer working on patrol in a, in a city told me something very shocking. I was a police officer for many years. Uh, and they told me something that, uh, what was, we were talking about mental health and, and things that, what do they see, uh, that could be different from when I was policing. And, uh, this officer had mentioned, you know, it was to them that it's shocking that a lot of the attempted suicides that they are taking calls on now are from adolescents or from the youth. Yeah. Um, and that's alarming to me. So, you know, where is that starting? Where is that beginning? I mean, depression is a big part of that. I agree that home is part of it, but the, the, the students or the children are at school a lot of part of the day. Um, so we have to be very, uh, very mindful of that. So, I don't know what your opinion on that is. What what should parents start looking out for if a parent thinks that their child's being bullied? It doesn't have to be bullying, though, so please don't pigeonhole this just to bullying. 
Right. Uh, but depression, if, if a parent thinks that their child is depressed or, or they are clinically depressed, what should a parent do? What are the signs to be looking out for? Um, and what should a parent do if they think their child uh, is depressed? Sure. No, definitely. Um, yes. Um, you know, when it, if you're suspecting that your child may be bullied, right? And, and here's a statistic for you guys. Um, you know, when it comes to the school-based setting, 50 to 70% of children do not report being bullied to school staff, okay? 50 to 70%. When it comes to, um, you know, school-age students reporting being bullied uh, to um, parents, it's roughly about 50%. Same thing reporting to a sibling. Um, so we're having a massive under-reporting of bullying that's occurring. You know, uh, children don't want to talk up. They may be afraid of repercussions. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to draw any more attention to themselves than the bully has already drawn attention to them in a very negative way. That being said, you know, at, as parents, we there are a couple of things that to look out for, uh, particularly uh, when, and, and this is the unfortunate cases when bullying is really taking a toll on the kiddo beyond just the initial stages when we'd ideally like to catch it, okay? So, First thing is changes in behavior, okay? Uh, things that I particularly look out for in working with my students includes uh, changes in appetite, changes in sleep patterns, um, sudden change in mood, um, thought processes. Uh, oftentimes we see children that are on the, on the cusp of slipping into depression have these kinds of changes. Um, sometimes expressing thoughts of hopelessness, um, losing sudden interest in things that they used to find pleasurable. Maybe they were a terrible uh, uh, athlete at that time, but boy, they loved playing, uh, I don't know, uh, baseball because all their buds were on the baseball team. And suddenly they don't want to do it anymore, right? That should raise an alarm for some parents. Um, sudden fears of worrying about going to school. Um, I've worked with very young, 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 young little children um, who will certainly have, it's almost like this regression, these crying spells, separation anxiety, particularly if home is a very nurturing, stable environment where they're being validated by their parents, um, going to a situation or place, whether it's at school or daycare or somewhere in the community where it's suddenly not validating can result in a child naturally not wanting to go. So these are some of the early signs to look out for, but more importantly, um, laying down the foundation that having those frequent and honest and non-judgmental dialogues with our children where they feel comfortable reporting things. Um, because, you know, I, I, I've got my own little kid. I, I can even in situations, let's say we're on the playground and she's uh, not necessarily fitting in or not being able to get into a group. Oh, it kills me. It pains me. You know, those are some growing pains she'll have to go through. But we have discussions about it. How did you feel about that? How did that make you feel? What are your thoughts about that? How will you handle it next time if you want to play with a group of you know children that maybe don't want to play with you because you're younger than they are? You're older than they are. What do you want to do? So laying those foundations can certainly E make it easier for the child to have that communication, not just with parents, but the same thing with educators. So the same approach in the school context, talking about our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions and behaviors as educators. When we ask these of our students, reading them at the door, talking about, uh, 
you know, character education, things like that. These are invaluable opportunities to open the dialogue for children to express their thoughts and feelings before we see these more behavioral symptoms demonstrated by children. Yeah. And you know that it, again, this is, um, you know, it's a lot, a lot of things we come back to is it starts at home a lot of times, right? I mean, we can't leave it up to the schools to figure everything out and see it. Right. I mean, they, they may see it and they may catch on to it, but depression is a very big, uh, a big issue. Um, anxiety, I think is, is another one that's up there. Uh, and they can kind of uh, coincide with each other. Uh, but depression is very big because it, it'll lead to some students that are, you know, it, it puts them in this downward spiral, um, that we don't want children to get into. We don't want students to get into that. And, you know, list, please listen to a meet talking about what you can see if there's changes in behavior and things they used to love to do. And now they all of a sudden don't want to do it. Something that really you know, pops up as a, you know, the red light starts blinking for you. You need to address it. Uh, you need to talk now in a non-judgmental way, of course. When I say address, I'm talking about, you know, coming up with a plan. I don't think it's I think we need to get past the stigma of mental health, uh, get past the stigma of depression, stigma of anxiety, stigma of a lot of these things. I think that's some of the issue, or it, I know it surely has been in the past, that if you mention mental health, then you're you're automatically, oh, well, nobody wants to talk to you. You're, you know, you're, you have mental illness. Well, it's something we've got to get rid of this stigma uh, about and then be able to talk to your children about it. Uh, obviously, the bullying stuff, uh, part of that. But if you see these, uh, like I said, the blinking lights and, and, and it's saying that they may be crying out for help and you just don't know it. Uh, with some of these things and uh, what, you know, when we talk about those are the times when we, you guys would really like to catch it, obviously. Uh, what, what's the next level to where it's getting a little bit, you know, like the behavioral stuff that we're talking about in depression. Yeah. I mean, you would like to catch it at the initial stage, but what is the next phase of that? Oh yeah. So particularly when we're talking about depression um, and you, you can see it really. And, and let me put this out there that um, just because one is feeling depressed, doesn't mean they have necessarily depression, right? Um, but when we start getting into those, what we call clinically significant, meaning, wow, this is not just, this is, this is like a strobe light. It's not just a little blinking light. This is like a, a SOS, um, is when we see children also demonstrating, or even adults uh, for that matter. Uh, one of the things is called psychomotor retardation, or basically just moving slowly, talking slowly, um, not brushing their teeth sleeping excessively or having sleeping not at all um a sudden again a, a much more dark and dramatic loss of interest in now life expressing hopelessness i want to die and then they'll you know a lot of my students will say i'm just joking right to throw me throw me off or throw educators or throw parents off um just being withdrawn. Now they're no longer hanging out with peers they used to spend time with. They're, they're isolating themselves, uh, possibly even giving away um, prized possessions, uh, writing, uh, you know, notes out of the blue that, you know, I appreciate you. I miss you. I'll, I'll miss you. I love you, you know. And you're like, well, I'm gonna, we live in the same house. Why, why are you saying you miss me? You know, why? This is all out of the blue. So those, that's like that next level where this child may be contemplating self-harming, maybe having thoughts of suicide, um, and that's coupled with anxiety as well. 
Yeah. And, and parents out there that listen to this or listening to it now, or you're listening to this as it's podcast, if this is going on, this is like you said, this goes from blinking red light. We were just talking about to a strobe light that you have get, you have to address this. Um, you need to, you know, reach out Now listen, this is, this is the tricky part about this is that I sit here and say that because I truly, I, I, I trust you. I believe you. Um, what is it like right now to find a, uh, a psychiatrist or a psychologist to help our, our students out or adults? I mean, the, the, the services, I mean, from what I've, I've seen or read and, and, and seen statistically, our mental health system, and I'm sure this is varied by state, uh, is slammed right now. Uh, yeah. We don't have the resources out there. It's, it's kind of like you call for an appointment and, well, we'll get to you in December and it's in August. I mean, these things can't wait. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I fear. I, I fear the the onslaught of, of depression and anxiety. And again, I, and I'm glad you brought this up. It's not that, you know, everybody gets down every once in a while. It's not that you're, you know, the feeling press, you know, you're right now you're talking about the more clinically, you know, the, it's clinical depression and, and what you guys see as a psychologist and parents pick up on that. And my fear is it goes from that, from the strobe light saying they need help and all these outward signs to they're, you know, they're going to put their life in their own hands and take their own life. And it has happened. Uh, it's happened recently. Um, uh, it, it happens all the time. And so, man, we are in such a, a, a difficult spot of, okay, well, parents know this is an issue. Now, where do we get the services? I mean, it, am, am I wrong in that sentiment thinking that the services are slammed? Um, no, no, you're you're spot on. Um, you know, right now, even right now, as we speak, there's federal legislation about you know trying to inject uh, over a hundred million dollars into the specific development of school-based mental health professionals because if the child is not at home, they spend the second place they spend most of their life is in school, right? And there's just a shortage. We have a shortage of teachers, shortage of counselors, shortage of school psychologists. I mean. Um, in Alabama alone, just uh, to educate some parents about school psychologist staff ratios, our nationally recommended model or ratio for how many school psychologists are per students in a school is one to 500. In Alabama, it's one to over 25,000. So, you know, we, we, are, we, we do rank last, uh, even behind Puerto Rico uh, and, and Mississippi in terms of how many school psychologists they are per to, to, to students. Um, in my old district, I was in South Carolina. Like I said, those, those 25 of me and I was uh, full time in a school, full time. So, you know, it's not just all upon the school counselor. Um, we are there with additional training, uh, uh, also uh, psychological testing services to help children. Um, but in terms of, you know, seeking out outpatient mental health services. Yes, there is a long wait, particularly for psychiatric services if it's needed. And, and, and something to distinguish with parents that seeing a psychiatrist is different than seeing, uh, let's say a clinical psychologist or a licensed professional counselor. Um, you know, psychiatrists deal with med management. Um, and generally speaking, uh, there are, uh, in Alabama and I'm in the central Alabama region, there are a, a few psychiatrists that also provide that mental health therapeutic counseling services. Um, some don't because they're just so slammed with medication management that 
they work in conjunction with a clinical psychologist or licensed professional counselor to provide that portion of the therapy. Um, but a great resource that parents could maybe utilize um, is Psychology Today. Uh, what I do like about that website, and it's not an exhaustive list, but that you can plug in your insurance provider um, and you can search by uh, your location, by uh, if they work with teenagers, if they work with young children, um, and, and in your local area. So that that's kind of a valuable, uh, invaluable website, Psychology yeah. Today. Yeah, and that's a good website for just really in general about psychology. I read several articles on there. and. Yeah. You learn something new just about every time you go there uh, if you're interested in psychology. Um, but, you know, what you talk about uh, just then, um, really, the and, and it's a hard thing, right? I mean, it's all about money and it's about funding services and everything. But but as we have talked about uh, just in this brief, this, this brief time together, we have had a rise in mental health conditions pre-pandemic. Now we're going through a pandemic or we're on the hopefully getting on the backside of this thing, wherever we are on that uh, scale. It's getting worse uh, statistically. I'm saying statistically, and this is probably across the board. Yet we have uh, you're you're mentioning state numbers. We have one school psychologist, which I'm assuming, as you said, is would be better having than than certain other positions trying to take that, you know, take that responsibility one in. What did you say? Twenty five thousand. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, the that ratio. The bar graph on our uh, national organization just ran out of room, so it's yeah. So, yeah. So so okay. <laughs> so we have got this huge tsunami coming at us, and we have let this, in my opinion, years prior to this, we have just really kicked this can down the road, right? I mean, mental health has really just been an afterthought for a lot of people, in my opinion. Um, that is that's my opinion. And now all of a sudden, in the last few years, people are saying, oh, we need to take care of mental health. Well, then here comes a pandemic that nobody saw coming. And now we've got um, numbers that have already skyrocketed in the past decade. Then those are numbers from uh, 2009 to 2019, where they rose 40%. That was pre-pandemic. Like I said, CDC has all those numbers. You can go read them for yourself, and you will see those numbers just skyrocket. Well, now we have... Uh, really a shortage of a lot of things. Listen, and, and it, we don't need to go, it, I think you mentioned it earlier. I want to mention it again. We have a, we have a shortage of teachers. We have uh, teachers that are, you know, getting out of the profession. Uh, we have, we definitely have a shortage of special education teachers. Uh, we have a, a shortage of a lot of, of staff in schools. And, oh my goodness, it is just really a recipe for um, a, a disaster. Hope And again, you know, listen, everybody's, doing their thing in their LEA or their school district, let's please pay attention to mental health. I think hopefully that's gotten a lot of people's attention over the last year or two, but it's, in my opinion, it should have been, we should have been talking about this 15 years ago, as serious as we are now, uh, just talking about all the shortages and, and what is to come. Now, listen, it may not be, and I don't know your opinion, would love to, to know your opinion on this. It may be not to come in the next six months. It could be. It might be that these kids are in middle school and it might be in four years when they're in high school that we see these issues pop up. So it's kind of a it's kind of a wave type of thing. Right. I mean, they could be in elementary school and, you know, bullying. Uh, You were talking about how 50 to 70 percent of bullying go unreported. Well, it goes unreported for four or five more years or six more years. And now we're in high school. 
and now we've got these issues, we have got to get on top of this mental health crisis that I believe we're in, and we're about to get slammed with it again. And again, I will always uh, remind parents, uh, children with disabilities, are, are, are that's a high number. Uh, it is statistically, uh, they are more likely to be bullied. Uh, 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 just please be mindful of that um, and stay on top of this. I think a lot of it does start at home. P parents have to be engaged. I think schools need to be engaged. Like you said, what are the policies? And the community needs to be engaged when we're talking about bullying. But I think community also needs to be engaged on ending the stigma. I know that's been a, a campaign uh, that's been out there about in the stigma of mental health, but it's still needed. Right. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm fully transparent. I used to think as a police officer, mental health was really only one thing, and that was psychosis. Mm -hmm. I had no clue. And that is, you know, getting back to to one of the original points, and and we'll end here soon, is really talking about why we brought you on, and and why IEG thinks it's important to talk about the interactions with people that might be, uh, you know, going through some uh, mental health condition, you know, in the schools and in law enforcement. Um, you know, law enforcement can do only so much. They need to have the skills um, to really, you know, be on that team. Uh, to know kind of what's the best ways to interact, but so do educators. Uh, like we have talked about that, and as an educator, you're with the children and the students sometimes more than the parents. So how are we going to get on the same team? How are we going to have this information? And that's what we hope to bring uh, to, to education, the education sector is how do we do that? How do we better interact? You know, even what things to look for, uh, a meet will be, uh, conducting those trainings for us uh, in the education sector and probably loan law enforcement to help us get to speed on what is a team approach. Uh, that's what we believe in is being on the same team and really getting uh, the alignment of thought of the outcome. That's very important. Uh, to And how do we do that and what's the best ways to do that? So that's why we, we think it's so important because I believe lives are at stake. I truly do. Uh, people's education is, is at stake as well. Uh, as we discussed, uh, when we have these issues going on at home or in school, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal thoughts, anything. I mean, listen, we can talk about hunger. I mean, you, there's a lot of things that affect and impact uh, students' learning, and mental health is one of those things. So I hope we can get really, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get on top of it um, because, man, Alabama, if, if we're speaking about Alabama in general. It sounds like we are. We are at the very bottom of the list. Long way. I said. Big way to for us to improve, though, right? Yeah, that is one way to look at it, right? Is uh, if we're at the very bottom, and I want people to listen to this. If mental health is important to you, contact your lawmaker, contact your legislator, contact your school board member. And listen, I've said this <laughs> probably before I became an advocate, which was about 11 years ago. Um, I probably didn't know my school board member either. But if you don't know who your state school board member is, please look the, uh, those up. And it doesn't matter which state you're in, uh, if they go by school board. Your local one is also good. There is always time for public comment, uh, typically in a school board meeting. Take that time to, to, to express your, uh, you know, your, your feelings about mental health if it's being addressed. And also what is being done good. Uh, always, you know, compliment a school system that are doing things well. And I wish we could find those schools and let them work together that if they have got programs that are working really good, then that's, you know, why don't we just emulate those and not keep them to ourselves if they are doing those kind of things? Because I think it's very important. I wanted to quickly uh, mention two things. Um, 
I showed this earlier. Oops, let's go to this one. Uh, the suicide prevention hotline. This is a national number. Now, this is this is live currently. However, this is also going to be podcasted. So if you're listening, I'll give the number. I always want to give it if we mention suicide. If you need to talk to somebody uh, or having suicidal thoughts, this is a national number. It's 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Please call that number um, and talk to somebody. Um, you know, if you don't have anybody to talk to uh, that's close to you, please call that number uh, if you're having those thoughts. And then there's a new, um, I think it's suicidepreventionlifeline.org, uh, 988. I don't, do you know much about this program yet? I think this is coming along. Uh, I don't, I think it's going to be, I think it's gearing up about July, I believe, a 988 number. But, but go to the website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and read about that, uh, being able to dial a, a three-digit number. I don't know exactly when it's going live, but I do know that website is live now because I've been to it. Uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org um, if you need to, if you want to learn more about that. Amit, I'll give you the last thought. I mean, what what should we be focused on um, kind of moving forward in, in mental health in schools? What do you want parents to really know? Uh, and it can really be anything. We didn't even have to cover it tonight. But what is it that you want to share with us that maybe we didn't cover that you really want parents to know or students that could be listening to this as well um, and, and hit us with it? Let us know. I mean, I think we collectively as a society have forgotten or have gotten a little bit rusty the art of just communicating, right? Engaging in relationships with other people and letting ourselves be vulnerable. Um, my, my, my takeaway is, you know, from all that is that is the ability to communicate. When we cannot communicate with our school board members, when we cannot communicate with our lawmakers, when we not, cannot communicate with our children, with our students, with our classmates, with our friends, with our siblings, that is at its core essence what f starts in motion the process of mental health uh, problems becoming an epidemic. I mean, we, we, I know people talk about COVID-19 as a pandemic. Well, we were having a mental health pandemic before COVID-19. And, and arguably, um, you know, it, it's caused in, in some ways more damage and everlasting damage than COVID-19 in some ways as well. It continues to go beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. So I stress to parents, if you suspect that your child may be struggling uh, with uh, depression, anxiety, mental health concerns, bullying. Uh, students, if you're listening, okay, speak up. You can be the generation to break this stigma about respecting yourself, that you have a right to life, that you and your feelings should be validated. You know, we, we may agree to disagree, but that, that means I can still treat you with respect and people should treat you with respect as well. Um, and, and teachers, educators, if you're listening, I know that y'all are burnt out. Uh, oftentimes educators, and especially our teachers, are, are the first responders. Um, some teachers feel comfortable about responding that way. Some don't. And I think that's why I'm really proud and very excited to work with uh, Dustin and IAG about offering these trainings to educators because if they're not at home, they're at school. And so we as uh, educators need to be prepared on how do we interact and facilitate safe interactions and healthy interactions with individuals who may or may not have mental health difficulties. 
Yeah, and it's well put. I mean, that's why we want to get into that, uh, you know, make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, I truly think it is, uh, just like you put, uh, very well put, that this is more, you know, it, it's been going on before the pandemic, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, this has been an issue for a very long time. Um, and it is, you know, listen, mental health. And, you know, I really want to say this. Everyone has mental health, by the yeah. way. Okay, so you know, I don't want anybody to think, well, mental health and it's, you know, put over, that's the stigma. We all have mental health. We all should be taking care of our own mental health. Um, more so now, I think the, the, not to get into this, this may be another discussion for another, uh, uh, another day, but really the, the internet, I mean, you know, social media has really just, man, launched, uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. A lot of good stuff can be done with it too, of course. But, you know, everybody has mental health. Please take care of your own mental health. Uh, one day we are going to get a meet back on and talk about maybe not so much school stuff, uh, but talk about uh, taking care of your mental health as a, as a parent of a child with disabilities. I'm, I'm one of those parents and it's very challenging. And I think that is a topic we'll talk about uh, at another time. A meet and I are going to come on uh, Facebook lives or do some podcasting. Hopefully if he agrees to do it, uh, maybe he will. Uh, to talk more about mental health, uh, to talk about some of these issues, uh, to hopefully inspire people to step up and, and you know, and, and speak about it. You know, there's a lot of topics people want to talk about. And, and one thing that, it, that, is in, that is impacting homes in your neighborhood are these mental health uh, issues that are going on and the lack of services. And then when we talk about uh, students with disabilities and the lack of services for those families, I mean, these things are what I, what I like to call street level things, right? These are things that we can really help each other. And I'll, I'll echo what Amit said, and that is to respect your neighbor, love your neighbor. I know that is hard for a lot of people. You don't have to agree with them. Uh, you don't have to agree with them what, uh, what sports team y'all like. Uh, you don't have to agree with them politically, but Please start, you know, try to respect people. Um, it is hard to change the hearts of people. But when we're just on respect, I mean, respecting your neighbor, loving your neighbor. And I think that goes a long way. I've said it many times before. That is the kind of stuff that we can do something about. These bigger issues on the national level, state level, and then global level, those big issues very rarely is anything you're going to say and do going to impact those, Right. But when you're coming down to the granular street level, as I call it, man, we can do a lot by just starting to love one another and respecting each other. Uh, that's as students, as parents, and then parents becoming more engaged, becoming more engaged in your in your child's uh, life and having those difficult discussions. I've tried to have as many as I've, I can with my child. Uh, my oldest is about to be 13, and we've had some very difficult discussions. Uh, but you know, me being a former police officer, uh, and, and everything else I share with him, uh, I share with him what's out there. And that's what I think parent, uh, a psychologist right here live has told you. That's what we need to be having talk about. It's not obviously age appropriate. I mean, we get that right. I always have to say that, but having these tough talks, uh, with your children, um, and, and working with, and this is important and I'll, I'll end with this. I know people, uh, think, man, when is he going to shut up? If you listen to my co podcast before, I talk a lot. Listen, it's important, too, that when you have a child without a disability or a student or a loved one or a child that is not being bullied, it's important to talk to them still about those things. 
it's still important for them to to know that that stuff is wrong, to know it's not it's not right to pick on people with disabilities and, and everything else. They might not know it. Stand up for your friends. Now that standing up for your friends and, and people that may need uh, to be stood up for. Now that's obviously uh, a loaded definition, I guess. But listen, teach them about these things as well. That if you see something, say something. That's the easiest thing to do as a student or as a person. If you see something at school, please report that to an administrator or your teacher. Don't think you're not going to be uh, not you're not cool if you if you turn those uh, situations in. And it's really important for parents uh, without students or children with disabilities is to really listen. Our children with disabilities are human beings and you can talk to our children anytime that you want to. Uh, you can have your your child talk to our uh, kids as, as, as much as you want to and really be around them as much as possible. Um, I think that's also showing love. Uh, to those uh, children and adults with disabilities, I think that's needed uh, as well. So I just wanted to say that um, really quick, Todd Timerlin, I appreciate you uh, watching us on live. Um, just wanted to show you that he wanted to thank you uh, uh, for that. Uh, thank you for telling him how to handle certain situations and and doing what you do. I mean, I mean, listen, that, it, you were doing, you know, you're doing the work inside the schools as a school psychologist in Birmingham city schools. And, and I thank you for that. So, um, hopefully you'll join me for more mental health talk uh, on down the road sure. uh, and we'll talk about different topics and we won't run uh, 54, 55 minutes. We'll try to keep them to about 30 minutes, but I wanted to introduce you, uh, you know, make sure people know who you are, uh, school psychologist doing great work and is going to be working with us to bring this mental health training on certain uh, conditions to law enforcement, but also to educators uh, meet. I appreciate you joining us and uh, everybody, this is going to be podcasted. Uh, we will have it uh, out there uh, on the podcast, the IG podcast. If you haven't looked it up, please look it up. Uh, I will podcast uh, podcast this uh, this week. Uh, you can always catch it back live on IG's Facebook page. I hope you will join us next time. If you're going to go out there and podcast land, please give us a like or a follow um, and do that for us. All right, you guys uh, have a great night uh, and everybody God bless.